You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. And we do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, guardingthewell.com, and you can connect with us there. With that said, let's jump into it this week. Uh, If you have your Bibles, if you would uh, open up to uh, 2 Timothy. Uh, chapter 1, uh, we started uh, last week going through uh, 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. And so as you're opening up to 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, I am going to read verses 8 through 12 for us this morning. And so Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for the time that we have to look into the word that you had Paul write to Timothy, and eventually to us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds this day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us to know Jesus know you more, not to be ashamed, that we would grow, that we'd make you known, Jesus. So we give this time to you, and I ask that you'd speak through me, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's really good to have you all out this morning. Uh, we have communion. If you don't know, we're taking communion today. That's why the big white thing is in front of me. Uh, but as I was reading the text this week, uh, this morning, we've been, uh, I've been working this message out all week long, and I've been thinking about something to open with you. I like to give you something to open with to get your brain going. I know it's in the morning. Some of you aren't morning people. Maybe you haven't had your coffee yet. So you need something uh, to get your mind flowing. And so... I was thinking about it, and I kept coming back to the same thing. And I'm like, but I've told most of the churches the same thing before, so why do I have to tell them again? But I kept coming back to it, right? So I'm going to run with this. I've used this before. If you've heard it before, you need to pretend like you've never heard it before. We we, we good on that, right? Okay, good, right? If you don't know, before I came here to pastor the church, I worked at Wegmans for about five years. I worked in their deli department, right? And so I was there slicing lunch meat and everything along those lines. And when I got there, um, I didn't, I, it was kind of overwhelming, right? Because Wegmans is a very busy place if you've never been there. And their deli case is about 15 to 20 feet long, just filled with stuff, like all sorts of stuff. Like who knows what I, I do know, but like there's so much stuff in there, right? And then you have to have each item has a different number you put into the scale, so it prints the right sticker. Like, seriously, like, we couldn't come up with an easier thing, right? So I'm overwhelmed, and I didn't know where things were. 
I didn't know how to do things. I didn't know the numbers. I didn't know how to, you know, refill the bags. And by the way, a slicer is not the easiest thing that, like, it's not hard, but you want to make sure you know what you're doing because I've watched people cut themselves on slicers, all right? And so prior to the Wegmans, I worked at Wawa, you know, the place that is better than sheets, right? right? Uh, so I worked at Wawa and had a little bit of experience using a slicer, even though at Wawa, I wasn't allowed to do that until I was 18, right? Uh, that was their rule, right? So I had a little experience, but going to Wegmans, it was completely different, right? And so I started working at Wegmans, and it was just like any other job. You don't know, so you don't have a lot of confidence, right? You with me on that? Like you just don't know things. You don't have a lot of confidence. Well, going through the, the five or some years that I worked there, I built up a lot of confidence. I started knowing where things were. I started memorizing the numbers, right? You know, you stand there and slice lunch meat for eight, nine hours a day, you get pretty good at it, right? Pretty good, right? And so I got to the point where my confidence built up so much, I'm like, I got to start messing around with the customers, right? Because you stand there doing that for that long, you got to do something, right? And so I would slice lunch meat with my eyes closed, all right? And it would really freak the older customers out, right? I'd really do it in the morning. And so they'd be watching me and I'd just have my eyes closed. I'd be cutting their lunch meat. And it's kind of scary for the customer. And I'd open my eyes and a couple... Of course, the older ladies would be looking at me, and they'd be all freaked out by their eyes. But I was able to do that because I had built up a confidence in myself, in my abilities to be able to do that. And I know what some of you are thinking. What in the world does this have to do with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 12? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it has to do with that. This morning, Paul is calling Timothy to something else. What I mean by that is this. Last week, Paul called Timothy to fan in the flame the gift that God had given to him. That's what Paul called Timothy to do, what he called you to do. This week, Paul is calling Timothy to not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus or of Paul as Paul sits in jail on death row, if you remember. Paul calls Timothy to this, but he also tells him how Timothy can stand up for Jesus and the gospel not to be ashamed. And so Paul calls him not to be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, the question is, how do we do that? How do we get to a point in our lives where we are not ashamed of Jesus? How we can get to a place in our lives where we're not ashamed of the testimony of Jesus? Well, that's where the story comes in from Wegmans. You see, knowing Jesus produces confidence. Not knowing Jesus produces uncertainty. And you have to get that. Knowing Jesus produces confidence. But if you don't know Jesus, it's going to produce an uncertainty in your life, in your heart. And so I want you to keep that thought in your head as we go through this morning. And the first place we need to start this morning is Timothy's uncertainty. It's going to be verse 8 and then verse 11 and 12 when we get to it. Now last week we started this book and we saw where Paul is at. So if you forget that, let me remind you really, really quick. Paul is in jail on death row, right? Nothing is good about his situation at all. And that is where Paul is writing this letter to be. And 2 Timothy, as I said last week, is widely believed to be Paul's last recorded letter that he sent, at least from the scriptural side of things. Maybe he sent a family letter or something along those lines. We don't know that, but from a scriptural standpoint, these are Paul's last words, if you would, and he writes them to Timothy. 
And last week, we also saw that Timothy struggled. That most likely, Timothy was struggling personally and professionally in his life. And so Paul told him last week, he goes, Hey, Timothy, fan in the flame the gift that God has given you. Don't be passive. You know what God has given you. Apply it. Develop it. Use it. Timothy, stoke that fire for Jesus. Like, you really need to do that, Timothy. you got to fan that in the flame. And then Paul goes right into saying this in verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You see what Paul calls Timothy to? Because Paul goes, Timothy, don't be ashamed of two things. And I want you to notice these two things. Paul goes, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Does that mean that Timothy is ashamed of Jesus? Not necessarily. He's ashamed of the, he might be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus or embarrassed or something along those lines about Jesus. But at the same time, Paul tells him, he goes, what? Timothy, also, don't be ashamed of me. Have you ever been ashamed of somebody? There's a good chance that Timothy's in that boat right now. So Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. He goes, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And I want you to notice that. Notice what Paul says there about himself. Paul is a prisoner of Rome. He is in a Roman jail. He's going to be executed by the Romans. We don't know how much longer after he writes this letter. But does Paul say, I'm a prisoner of Rome? No, he goes, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Notice that difference. Notice that mindset that Paul has. He goes, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Meaning, if this is where Jesus wants me, if Jesus wants me in this stinky sewer of a dungeon like I told you last week, then that's fine. This is where I want to be. Because I belong to Jesus. Paul knew that he belonged to Christ, that Christ purchased him like he does with everybody that is in Christ. We belong to Jesus. We are his slave. We are his servant. And Paul goes, if this is where Jesus wants me, if this is what Jesus wants me to be going through right now in my life, then I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm in the hands of God, and this is where he wants me to be. What an amazing mindset that Paul has. And so we see in this verse that either Timothy was ashamed of these two things, or Paul is hearing a few things that has him thinking that Timothy is moving to a point in his life where he's getting ashamed of, embarrassed by the fact that Paul is in jail and the testimony of Jesus. Now we read that and we go, man, how could a pastor do that? Ready? Pastors aren't perfect, okay? I know that surprises all of you, right? But pastors are not perfect, right? Amy just fell over at home because she realized I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. We struggle with things too. But here's the question in all of that. If Timothy is ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, and if he's ashamed of Paul being a prisoner of Jesus, the question is why? Why would he be ashamed of Jesus? Why would he be ashamed of the testimony of Christ and of Paul being in jail? That's a very good question. Well, three quick thoughts on that as to maybe as to the why. One is this. Timothy's struggling in life. Have you ever been in that season in your life where you just struggle? 
I'm not saying like just sin and tempt, like I'm not saying anything bad, but life is just a struggle. You have so much going on in your life where it's just a season where you're struggling. If you've ever been in that season, and I think most of us, if not all of us, have been in a season like that, guess what happens? Those struggles mess with your whole life, don't they? They mess with your thoughts and your emotions and your mindsets and all these things like that. So his personal struggles, his professional struggles, may be doing something to get him embarrassed or ashamed of Christ or of Paul. There's a second reason why. And it had to do with the nation of Israel. What I mean by that is this. If you were to read the Old Testament, and if you were to read Galatians, where Paul quotes this, the Old Testament tells us, God tells us, that anybody that is hung on a tree is cursed by God. Well, Jesus was hung on a tree meaning the cross. And so God has said, anybody who is hung on a tree, crucified, is cursed by God. And so the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, looked at Jesus going, there's no way he could be the Messiah because he was hung on a tree, which means he was cursed by God. There's no possible way. And so they, they had that idea, and then they look at Paul going, well, Paul is worshiping somebody who is hung on a tree, which means he is cursed by God. And so the Jews are pressuring Timothy, getting on Timothy, going, there's no way Jesus can be the Messiah. Paul is a fool for worshiping Jesus and following him because the Bible tells us that he was cursed because he's hung on a tree. And so he had all the Jewish people trying to put this pressure on him. Have you ever had pressure Pressure messes with you when it comes from other people and other things. It kind of gets you to start to second-guess things. But then it wasn't just the Jewish people. It was the Romans. You know the Romans would not crucify a Roman citizen? They wouldn't do it. The Romans looked at anybody that was crucified as a slave. They would look at somebody that was crucified as being a fool. There's a picture that dates back hundreds and hundreds of years. It's carved in the walls over in Rome. I wanted to put the picture up on the screen for you, but I knew it wouldn't come out well enough for you to see it. And what the, what the, the picture that's carved into a wall is this. It's a man on a crucifix. You got, you got that? So it's a man on a cross, right? You, everybody with me on that? Okay, good. Remember, your nodding speeds up the sermon, okay? But this man on the cross, does not have the normal head of a man. He has the head of a donkey, but the body of a man. Now, I'm not going to say this out loud, but you all know what another name of a donkey is, right? Next to him is a man, a carved image of a man, in a position of worship. So like down on the knees or, or something along those lines. And then it has the words the, uh, underneath it, and it's the man's name. I can't pronounce his name, all right? And so it would say this, James worships his God. And it's a mockery because only somebody that was crucified would be a donkey. Do you get that imagery? That, and so the one worshiping the donkey on the cross is a fool. The fool. And so there's this Roman thought that if you're crucified, you're just foolish. And if you're worshiping somebody that was crucified, 
you have no brain cells left. Like you're, you're, you're beyond foolish. And so you have all these cultural things in Rome. You have these spiritual things from the Jewish people. You have the personal struggles that Timothy is going through just in life. And all these things coming together, it seems as though Timothy is starting to be a bit embarrassed. And I'm not making excuses for him, just looking at it. It was foolish in Timothy's culture to worship someone hung on a cross. Sound familiar? Because it's 2023 and it's still foolish to worship Jesus. Culture still tells us that it's actually stupid and idiotic to have your faith in Jesus and to worship Him. That you are a fool if you worship Jesus today. Did you know that? Because that's what the culture says. It's the same mindset that Timothy was struggling with that you and I struggle with. And because we get those pressures in our lives, being told daily that it's stupid to worship the guy hanging on the cross, but they don't forget that the grave was empty, that we actually get a little bit embarrassed of Jesus. We get a little bit embarrassed of the Gospel. And so Paul tells Timothy, he calls him, he urges him, he goes, Timothy, don't be ashamed. He goes, don't be ashamed in light of all these things, Timothy. Do not be ashamed. Well, how are you going to do this? How do you do this? He goes, Timothy, look at what he says to Timothy. He goes, do not be ashamed to testify about, uh, about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. He goes, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. That's a big swing, isn't it? Going from being ashamed to suffering for the same thing. That is a huge swing of the, the pendulum. Paul goes, Timothy, don't be ashamed, but suffer. He goes, suffer. Paul goes, Timothy, how about we suffer together? That'll make it easier. We'll do it all together. Remember last week I told you the Christians getting eaten alive? Burned alive? Paul's in jail because he's a Christian. And he goes, Timothy, let's do it together. Like, really, Paul? Really? Timothy knew that the suffering that Paul was talking about meant death. He knew that. You know, Jesus promises us that we will be persecuted for following him. We don't hang that promise up in our house all too often, but Jesus does tell us, he goes, you will be persecuted because of me. This suffering that Paul is talking about, is not, it's not going to church with no air conditioning. It's not going to church that doesn't have cushioned seating. It's not a suffering that, oh, I went to church 80% of the Sundays last year. That was a lot. He's not talking about that suffering. He's talking about jail. Talking about being beaten. Talking about being ripped from families. Talking about being thrown into jail and killed. Paul is calling Timothy to suffer like this. But how do you suffer like that? How do you go from not being ashamed to suffering like that? Well, Paul tells us, it was by the power of God. By the power of God. One cannot do this on their own. It's only in and through the power of Jesus that you can suffer like this. It's only in and through the power of Jesus that you can do much of anything. And some of you think that you don't have the power in Christ to do something. 
If I were to ask you right now, do you have the power and strength to go to jail for Jesus? Some of you, yes. Some of you, no. Some of you, like, eh, I don't know. I hope so. It's one of those things you don't know if you can do it until the moment you're there. And some of you go, I don't think I have the power to do anything for Jesus. Whether tell somebody about Jesus, share the gospel with Jesus, pray for somebody, pray out loud. You can't ask anybody to pray out loud anymore. Nobody can pray out loud. Everybody hates praying out loud, right? We don't have the power, the ability to do that, right? I came across a story this week, and I wanted to shove it into the sermon because I liked it. So here we go. How many know Corey Ten Boom? All right? You don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, look her up. Right? Her family helped hide um, uh, Jews during uh, World War II, okay? Her family ended up in a uh, concentration camp. Okay, she survived. I've given you a couple different stories over the years from her life. But before they went in the concentration camp, Corey was young. She was a teenager, I believe, uh, when she had this conversation with her dad. And she was talking with her dad, going, Dad, I don't think I could suffer for Jesus. I don't think I have the power and the ability to be martyred for Jesus or to suffer for Jesus. And so Corey's dad looked at her and said, Corey, when you go on the train to another town, when do I give you the money to get on that train? And her dad goes, do I give it to you three weeks before? He goes, no, dad. Do I give the money to you two weeks before you go on the train? No, dad, you don't. He goes, Corey, I give you the money to get on the train right before you get on the train because that's when you need it. And he goes to Corey, he goes, that's how God is. God will give you the power and the ability to do something at the moment you need it. Not weeks before. And that's how we do it. That's how we do things for God. That God will empower us at the moment that we need Him to do it. And so Paul's calling Timothy to something really big. Suffer for Jesus. He goes, stop being ashamed of Jesus. Well, how do you stop being ashamed of Jesus? Well, Paul lets us in on something. In the midst of Timothy's uncertainty, Paul pulls back the curtain on something. And he says this in verses 11 to 12. And he goes, of this gospel, I am a herald. Well, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. And Paul goes, this gospel, and the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, a preacher, a proclaimer. He was an apostle. He has set me apart. He has sent me out to proclaim this message. And he goes, I am a teacher. He goes, Paul goes, this is what I was called to. And because of this, this is why I'm suffering. I am suffering for Jesus because this is what he has called me to do. And he goes, I am not ashamed. Do you see those words? Paul goes, I am not ashamed. What is he calling Timothy not to be? Ashamed. He goes, Timothy, don't be ashamed. I am not ashamed. So you don't be ashamed. He goes, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What has Paul entrusted to Jesus? His life. His soul. That is what Paul has entrusted to Jesus. 
He's not talking about a lawnmower. He's not talking about a car. He's not talking about a power tool. Like Paul did not entrust like his circular saw to Jesus and go, I know Jesus will return that to me. That's not what Paul's talking about. He goes, I have given my life, my soul, my eternal life to Jesus. I entrust all of it to him. And I am convinced that he can guard it. What does it mean to guard something? It means to protect it. Nothing is getting to it. Nothing is going to destroy it. Nothing is going to decay it. Paul goes, Jesus is the one that can guard and protect and keep my eternal life. Nobody else can do it. Jesus can do that. I am convinced of it. He goes, because of that, I'm not ashamed. There's no doubts in my mind, Timothy. I'm not ashamed of Timothy. And the reason I'm not ashamed of him, Timothy, is this. I know him. I haven't used a fancy red dot in a while. Okay? Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Stop being ashamed. I'm on death road, Timothy, but I'm not ashamed. And the reason I'm not ashamed is because I know, I know whom I believe. Because I know him. I know him. And because I know him, I am not ashamed. Do you know Jesus? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Your coworkers know you believe in Jesus? Family members, friends, neighbors? They know you believe in Jesus? Or are you ashamed? I told you 2 Timothy is a bit different. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Timothy is sitting there in, an un- in uncertainty, perhaps ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. And Paul goes, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Paul has this confidence while on death row. And I want you to get that. Because all Paul had to do to get out of jail, to get off of death row, is say these words. Jesus is not real. I'm wrong. If Paul uttered those words, guess what? There's a very good likelihood that Paul got off of death row and got out of jail and was able to be walked down the street as a free man. That's all he had to say. Well, he goes, absolutely not. I know, I know Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of him. Not knowing Jesus produces uncertainties in one life. Knowing Jesus produces confidence. And so that brings us to our confidence. And this is going to be in verses 9 to 10. But here's my question before I read you these verses. Do you know Jesus? And what I mean by that statement is this. I don't mean do you know of him. Do you, mean, do you know Jesus? The word know, throughout the scripture, it speaks to a personally intimate knowledge. I'll give you an example. We all know the President of the United States, President Biden. We all know him, right? We all know of him. Do you know him, though? 
Have you been over his house for dinner? Gone for a ride in the car? No, gone on family walks with the dog? I don't know if he has a dog, right? You see the difference of the word no? You can know of somebody, but then there's knowing the personal, intimate relationship with that person. When Paul says, I know whom I have believed, he's talking about that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, that he knows him, not just knows of him. So that's my question to you. Do you just know of Jesus? Because you've heard me preach for 16 years. You've gone to church longer than that. So you know of Jesus. But do you actually know Jesus? There's a big difference in there. Huge difference. See, to know Jesus is to move past Sundays only. To know Jesus, it means to move into a daily relationship with Him. Searching Him out. Living for Him. Knowing Jesus is building that relationship. It is knowing who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he is going to do, and knowing it rightly. Because I've told you in the past that if somebody stands up and tells you something about the Bible or tells you something about the Bible while holding a Bible does not mean they're right. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? For you see, as you know Jesus, as we get to know more of Jesus, this knowing produces a confidence within you. It fortifies your trust. It fortifies your love in and of Jesus. And you know what happens when we love somebody? We're not ashamed of them. I'm not ashamed of my wife. The kids look at me all the time going, you married her? Like, yeah, right? And I don't mean that she did it. She, she's probably yelling at me right now, right? I don't mean like she'd do anything bad. But Amy is a complete different opposite of me. Like, she'll get dressed up and look like a clown. Like, she went to work at Michael's years ago dressed as a clown with makeup and everything on for like eight hours. I'm like, no, I'm good, right? I'm good. Like, completely different people. And so she's outgoing and she'll do crazy things. And she'll make a fool of herself just for the fun of it, right? And the... She can do that. I go, I'm not ashamed of her. I love her. My kids can make a fool of themselves and I'm not going to be ashamed of them because I love them. See, when you love somebody, you don't get ashamed of them because you know them. You know them. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. He goes, I know Jesus. So I'm not ashamed of him. No matter what happens. You see, it's when we lose sight of Jesus. It's when we don't know Jesus that we start to drift from Jesus. We become ashamed of Jesus and we don't talk about Jesus. We don't share Jesus with others because we don't know him. Paul goes, I know him. I know him. I know what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done is what Paul speaks about here. It's the gospel. Verses 9 to 10. Paul gets a little preachy. He goes, at the end of verse 8, it says, by the power of God, in the verse 9, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Guess what? We're going to go through that statement by statement, all right? 
I know you're, we got communion, right? Bear, we're only scratching the surface, okay? I want you to get this. This is how you know Jesus. These are some great verses. Paul goes, by the power of God, God has saved us. Stop. See? Who has saved us. It has saved us. God has saved us. What does that mean? It means God is the one that has saved those in Him from hell, from punishment, from judgment, from wrath, from torment, from death. That it is God that saves you. You don't save yourself. I don't save yourself. It is not a combination of you, your grandparents, your aunt, your uncle, and your great-great-great-granddaddy who is a pastor saves you. None of them save you. None of us can save each other. None of us can save ourselves. It is God that saves us. And notice that it's saved. It's a past tense, meaning it's a present reality with a future uh, thing. It's, it's done. In Christ, you are saved from hell. In Christ, you're saved from punishment and judgment for your sins. In Christ, God has saved you. That is who Jesus is. He has saved us. But it's not just that he has saved us, that he has called you to a holy life. Notice what Paul says next. He has called you to a holy life. That calling means that God has brought you to a holy life in Christ. It's past tense. It's done with. You are declared holy and right in God on this side of heaven. In heaven, God will make you holy. But for right now, you're declared holy because you're not perfect. So God declares you holy on the basis of the holiness of Jesus. Now that word holy does not mean perfect. It can refer to that. But the main definition, the main oomph, if you would, of holy in the Scriptures is other. It is different. It is set apart. That is what that word means. And so God has called you to a life that is set apart. He has called you to a life that is different. He has called you, which means that He has equipped you for this life. What the Lord has done. What God has done. To who He is. That's His person. That's His power. That's His character. That is who He is. He has saved you and He has called you. But notice what He says next. Not because of anything we have done. You're not going to heaven because of anything you have done. God has not saved you if you are saved because he looked at you and go, oh, 49ers fan, of course. He doesn't look at you and go, you never call off of work. Of course I'm going to bring you into heaven. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, look how much money they've given to the church. Of course they're going to come into heaven. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, you helped so-and-so across the street. Of course you're going to get into heaven. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, it's Wednesday and you made it through the whole day without slapping your coworker in the back of your head. So of course you're going to get into heaven. God doesn't do it that way. You're not saved because of anything you have done. Not, God does not save anybody on the basis of what they do, what they don't do. It doesn't matter. He saved you, as you're going to see in a moment, by His grace. Not because of anything you have done or will ever do. And so people sit there and go, well, I can't give my life to Jesus because of the things I've done in my life. It doesn't matter because it's not based on that. It's based on the person, the work of Jesus. That is what God has done. That is who Jesus is. That He has saved you. He has called you. Not because of anything that you have done, but...
we have done, but because of His purpose and His grace. If you're saved, you're saved because of God's grace. And you don't deserve grace. You're saved because of God's grace. That's it. That's it. That is what God's grace does. The grace of God saves, changes, and transforms. He saved you because of His grace. Why be ashamed of the one that saved you, called you to a holy life, not because of anything you have done, but because of His grace? Why be ashamed of Him? Not only that, but because of God's purpose. God has a purpose for your life, and I'm not going to get all fluffy and cupcakes and you know tell you everything's going to be fantastic because God has a purpose for your life. God had a purpose for Peter's life, and it ended up with him being crucified upside down. So I can't tell you everything's going to be you know, amazing. But God has a purpose for your life. The world tries to tell us that our purpose is to be happy. Your purpose is to be happy. Eggs cost $20 a dozen. How are you happy in this world? Well, that's what the world tells us, that your purpose is to be happy. I have to go to a store and check myself out at the register and put my own stuff in a bag after I spent 40 minutes trying to find the product. That doesn't make me happy. No happiness in that. So how can my purpose be happy when everything is going against my happiness? It doesn't work. The world tells us that our purpose to look is to look out for self. That our purpose, your purpose, is to look out for number one, first and foremost, and everything will be great. How's that going for us as a people? No wonder why people are so filled with depression and anxiety and loneliness. We only care about ourselves. Well, that's what the world tells us our purpose is, to look out for number one. <sighs> Friends, God has a purpose for you. It's found in Him. He has saved you for good works, as Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. This is God. Why are we ashamed of Jesus and His gospel that saves us, calls us to a holy life, not based on you? It is experienced in this, we experience the grace of God and we're given a purpose that is more than eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And yet we're ashamed of the God that has done this for us. We're ashamed. But Paul's not done. He goes, This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. I'm not touching that this morning because I don't have the time to. But I want you to notice that you are saved from the beginning of time if you're saved. That time has a beginning. And before that beginning, God existed. God created time. God is not controlled by time. He works in time, but He sits outside of time. So before the foundations of the earth were laid, before time even existed, God goes, I'm going to give my grace to James and Kevin so he can experience it. And yet that is the God that we are ashamed of. Why? Why? No, I don't know. We're ashamed because we don't know Him. We're ashamed because we don't know this about Him. But Paul moves on. This has now been revealed, right? It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. Right? We'll get to the death part in a second. What has been revealed? Heaven. Eternal life. Everything like that. 
You see, in the Old Testament, everything about eternal life in heaven was all murky. You couldn't see it and understand it really clearly. Um, I'll give you an example. Have you ever been driving down the road in, in, the, in a rainstorm? And before the wipers clear everything away, your, window, your windshield is filled with water, and you're looking through it, and you could see things, but you can't see things clearly and make things out properly. That's how it was in the Old Testament. You could make things out about heaven, but you couldn't see them rightly. You couldn't see them clearly. And then what happens? Jesus comes, acts as a windshield wiper, clears everything. Oh, that's a cat. That's a dog. That's a tree. I couldn't make it out before. Jesus has made everything clear. That's what he has done about heaven, about eternal life. He has made everything clear. And so Jesus appears, which is talking about his resurrection, and he makes it all clear because he has destroyed death. He has destroyed death. You get that line? Now I know what you're saying. If Jesus destroyed death, why do people still die? I have a funeral service in six hours. Five hours. I have a funeral service today. If the scriptures say that Jesus destroyed death, then why am I going to a funeral service? Wouldn't death be over? That word destroy there that Paul uses, it means to render inoperable. It means to pull the power from. And what Paul is saying there is not that Jesus has destroyed death. He ultimately will in heaven. But for right now, for those that are in Christ, death has no power over us. Death has no sting. The sting of death is gone. Paul even tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is gone. Death has no power. He's taken it away because of his own death, because of his own resurrection. But it's not just that Jesus has destroyed death, but that Jesus has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And it strikes me that Paul says life and immortality. Why use both words? I think I could be wrong, but I think it speaks to quality and quantity. That in Christ, that we, we will not see decay. That we will not waste away. Death has been destroyed, and Jesus has revealed to us that in Him, we have a full life, that we can have an abundant life, as He says in John 10. A life with a purpose, a life that does not decay and end. And this is Jesus. These are the things that Jesus has done, and I only touched on them. Paul goes, this is the man that I know. This is the man that I trust. This is the man that I trust to guard my life, my soul, because I know him. And, I, and because I know him, I'm not ashamed. I have confidence. Confidence in him and no one. And nothing can take that away from me. Because Timothy, because of that, don't be ashamed. How can you be ashamed of one who laid down his life for you and took it back up for you? How can you be ashamed of that person? Are you? Most get there at times because of life. If you find yourself ashamed of Jesus, you need to know him more. You, know, you need to know him more deeply and more personally. Because knowing Jesus gives us the confidence that keeps us from being ashamed of him. What next step can you take to deepen your relationship with him so that you are not ashamed of the testimony of Jesus? 
We're going to take communion in a second. For those of you joining us online, pray that you had a great day. We don't live stream our communion. But I'm going to ask the men that I asked to get ready for communion. And I'm going to pray. You don't have to get up. You do not need to be a member of the church.